Chapter Twenty Nine of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Barron's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine, An International Dinner, Off to the Mountains, My Ducal Guide, A Precipitous Motor Drive. Udine was the Italian general headquarters at this time. Consequently, if any foreign powers had representatives with the Italians, they were located there. Well, the Italian army did suffer from foreign representatives, and whilst I was at Udine I found a nest of them, consisting of English, French, Russian, Belgian, Romanian, Serbian, and Japanese. So you see, the Italians were not hard up for encouragement from their allies. It was the custom once a week for a dinner to be given to this assembly at a certain chateau in the town, and whilst in Udine, I was honored by being asked to join these functions. I went once, and that once I will describe. I should have gone more often, only as I have hinted previously in this book, I prefer a sausage and mash in a pub round a corner to a table d'hote at the Ritz. I hate meals elaborated by means of marble pillars sycophantic head-waiters and publicity. This international dinner was a fearfully swell affair. It was held in a beautiful garden behind this old-world chateau, and was really a most picturesque sight. An old Venetian chateau which possessed an equally old garden and a lawn with a border of tall dark cypress trees surrounding it. On the lawn was a long dinner-table, and there prior to dinner the international guests assembled. One by one the guests arrived, and what a sight! Each one in the full peacetime uniform affected by his particular army. I had, of course, to turn up in khaki, which had a miserably somber effect in the midst of so much grandeur. By dinner-time the lawn was a mass of different colored cloth and gold braid. A circus procession was tawdry compared to this. Again, another axiom which experience has taught me. The gaudiness of uniform is inversely proportional to the size and importance of the power. A haughty stiffness filled the air, partly due to the starch in these fancy dresses, and partly due to the different languages. In time we all folded at the middle and sat down to dinner. I had an Italian officer on my right, a Romanian general on my left, a Cossack officer and a Serbian ADC opposite. I can talk only English properly, with merely a diabolical attempt at French so you can imagine that the soup went down amidst almost complete silence. As I gazed at the Cossack's shaved head and gray uniform, I made a mental note. Sausage and mash at a café in Udine for you, me lad, in the future. The dinner progressed with all the polite stiffness inseparable from these orgies. But the scene was certainly romantic and picturesque. A wonderful setting sun behind the cypress trees, the dark olive-green lawn, and these mighty ones in their fancy dresses. I again thought of that mud-hole in the trench near Messines and realized what a long way I had come. All these allied representatives dispersed each day to various offices and represented their different countries, which, to boil it down, I feel sure means being a damned nuisance to the Italian Army headquarters who of course had to diplomatically please them and at the same time get on with the war. Am I right, Cadorna? After this one visit to see the sea lions fed, I decided I would not be lured into that again. I, in my customary suit of solemn khaki, was a damper on this wonderful kaleidoscopic color display. 
Besides, dinner in a café in Udine, with a gold flake and coffee to follow, was much more in my line. I now waited for the day on which I was to go off to the mountains. One morning I heard all about it. I was to go with the Duke of Milan, who was at the Italian Army headquarters. We were to start in a car and stay some days with the Alpine regiments who were in the line up in the Dolomite Alps. This was splendid. The Duke was an exceedingly nice companion who talked English, and the Dolomites were what I particularly wanted to see. The day arrived and we set off. We whirled along over the dusty flat roads heading for the mountains. In the distance one could see the mighty forms of the red-colored Dolomites towering high above with their snow-capped peaks. With my faculty for seeing the ridiculous and the sublime, I could not help thinking that they looked like a row of gigantic strawberry ices. We got nearer and nearer to the mountain region, and at last began to leave the baking-hot plains and mount the foothills which led to the mountains. We drove along the narrow winding roads, past innumerable beautiful villages, now and again passing over a bridge and a raging torrent of emerald-colored water. The atmosphere was, needless to say, as clear as crystal, and as we gained in height the great heat diminished. Occasionally we would pass a stream of motor lorries on their way to or from some part of the battle line, and now and again we would nearly collide with an Italian staff car which was doing its usual ninety miles an hour round impossible corners. Higher and higher we went, always spiraling upwards along the mountain roads. It seemed an endless drive. One seems to have to do so much road work to get such a little distance, always going round and round the same mountain to get to a point you have seen half an hour before. We were making for Belluno, because from there we would make a second day's journey to see the Alpini. Belluno was a good convenient spot to make a start from, for the last lap of the business, and moreover contained a lot of military headquarter officials with power to give permission for various visits. We scaled a crowd of mountains in that car and crashed along through many a lonely forest glade. The water in the radiator started to boil in the middle of one mountainous forest, and we had to explain radiators and their need for water to two aboriginal girls who were living in a woodcutter's hut hard by. They fetched us some water and were suitably rewarded by the Duke. The same evening we started our spiral descent down towards Belluno, which lies in a valley in the mountains. About six o'clock we crossed the bridge into the town and glided up to the courtyard of an hotel, just off the main square. So ended the first stage of the journey. End of chapter 29. Recording by Philip Gould.